Hello and welcome to the newest edition of Pro Pharma Talks. My name is Alex Hernandez. Alongside me as always is Dr. Craig Stern. And our topic for today is compounding pharmacies. Uh, the reason why we bring this up is we saw an episode of Last Week Tonight on John Oliver and a couple other people are talking about compounding pharmacies. Now, they have a different, um, how would you say it? They have a different spin on that, but what we're going to talk about is more the details with it and how it relates to fraud, waste, and abuse, which is one of the reports that we do here or analysis that we do here at Pro Pharma. So um, I'm going to have Dr. Stern talk about compounding pharmacies because I know nothing about it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's been some media uh, interest. Uh, Bottom line is we want to put some perspective in this. the, the general statement is that the things that the people are talking about is a very, very small percentage of all uh, compounding pharmacies in the United States. Right. Well, uh, the vast majority of it is legal, appropriate, established, being dealt with in the appropriate ways. Uh, there are some people who take advantage of it. Certainly we'll talk about that. But at least to put it in perspective that... This is a very common standard. It's part of pharmacy regulations in every state Mm -hmm. um, in order to deal with compounding for important issues, such as uh, people who have children where they need to customize the dosing or issues where someone has an allergy and they need to um, provide a cream or an ointment or lotion that won't irritate the skin or they have, um, you know, other dosing requirements for adults, not just children uh, that deals with it. Also people that deal with injectables and they have to mix injectables uh, for a particular patient as well as, you know, animal treatments. There's some pharmacies that specialize in in animals, either mm-hmm. zoo animals or animals that people have that they need medications for. Right. Uh, but, but let's go back to the beginning because... I think what the people at home, like people who, who are just tuning in or watching for the first time, will say the difference between a pharmacy, like a regular old Walmart pharmacy and any others, and a compounding pharmacy is a compounding pharmacy puts together a dose for one patient for that specific prescription. Yeah, and that's a critical yeah. issue, Alex. Right. The the issue for us here is is that technically any pharmacy that's licensed can do compounding. Mm-hmm. Um, particular pharmacies specialize in compounding. Right. Um, and this is based on the state law that identifies that a patient sees a physician, the physician writes a prescription for a compound. It is for that one patient, for that particular condition. It's not for a whole bunch of people. The right. distinction here is, is that the the compound prescription is for one patient, one indication uh, for that patient. If they did it for a bunch of patients, that would be manufacturing. Pharmacies are not licensed as manufacturers. They're licensed dispensing pharmacies. So as a result of that, that would take pharmacies outside of their normal uh, licensure unless they also have a manufacturer's licensure. Right. So, I mean... And in a nutshell, manufacturers, they when they release a product, they have set designations for those products, meaning they have a set dosage, a set form for their particular product, and you can't just 
all willy-nilly make them at your pharmacy and then license it as them. Yeah, right. and understand yeah. that in the history of pharmacy o over the years, uh, for the past few thousand years, is that um, manufacturers didn't manufacture every drug. Right. So um, people had to compound or make from multiple different ingredients, mix them together and make a compound that was prescribed at that time either by pharmacists or pharmacists slash physicians or physicians um, over the years in order to treat a particular condition. Right. Now today, manufacturers are manufacturing most of everything. So at the end of the day, the need for compounding is reduced compared to what it once was, where things were, were just needed for a particular prescription. Now today, right. there's most, most drugs manufactured by somebody, whether it's brand or generic, in order to try and deal with the problem. Right. So when, um, when a patient is going into a, a pharmacy and they have a, a certain prescription right. and they get that drug, how will they know it's compounded or if it's another drug that's being dispensed from? Well, technically they won't. Right. Um, they may see that the pharmacist is busy mixing it. Mm -hmm. um, they may see that it takes a while to get that prescription versus where it's being taken out of one bottle and produced into another bottle. Right. Uh, but in a general way, they won't know that it's compounded. The physician may know it's compounded because they may be noting it in their prescription if they need a particular custom dosing or custom formulation. Mm -hmm. Or without that, they may not know uh, what's being done either. Wow. So um, in that regard, you're dealing with something that may or may not be required to make, or you may find out about it based on the time that's taken, the pharmacist informs the patient about it, or some issues with regard to um, what the doctor's order is that says it's a compound, and therefore somebody has to follow the formula. Or the health plan hits you up with the bill and you find out that you had a compounded drug. <laughs> yes, yes, that's another possibility. Yeah, so yeah. so how do health plans find out about compounded drugs? Well, when they, they, get <laughs> they typically, yeah, they typically find out about it in the pharmacy claims, which we know about it because we measure that all the time. Right. Um, and at that time, they would find out it's a compound. And in general, the health plan or the employer, whoever the payer is, would be tracking it and looking to see, is the number of these compounds increasing? Is the cost of them increasing? And then therefore that kind of switches on that now we need to look at it more carefully because there sim seems to be a trend more than what we would have expected. Mm -hmm. But now the number of them, the cost of them, et cetera, is increasing. So for the people at home, we probably should have covered this first, but what exactly are compounds? Because I know patients probably won't know when they're getting prescribed a compound, but just so they can know for their own knowledge when they hear compounding pharmacies or different forms of drugs being prescribed at a lower dose than what is common, what are some of these compounds? Well, typically the compound was a topical agent mm -hmm. where a pharmacist took a cream and a few other active ingredients, mix them together, mm -hmm. put them in a jar, and dispense them labeled um, as a particular topical cream. And it could have been something to put on the skin uh, or otherwise. Um, the other one is where there are pharmacists who have, 
have uh, dispensed compounded capsules where they've taken the active ingredient, like, say, progesterone for women, and they have put that into gelatin capsules, and those gelatin capsules then are compounds Mm -hmm. because they had to be um, taken from the raw drug, put into a capsule and uh, for a particular strength and weight of the capsule and placed in that. Mm-hmm. And the third area, of course, is in injectable drugs, like these bags of infusions where someone had to take a basic uh, solution like dextrose in water or saline in water and inject into it a particular drug, and that then becomes a compound of what it is. Mm-hmm. The important thing is is that the expiration date on these is much, much shorter than it would have been in a manufactured bottle because now, because of the way that it was compounded and the stability of it, et cetera, um, it is only good for so long and that will be labeled on the, on the bottle or the bag. Hmm. Okay, so what, what sort of limits, I mean, you mentioned that that's one limit where the drug doesn't last as long. Yeah. What are other limits that are put on compounding? Well. All pharmacies are licensed within their state. Mm -hmm. Um, There's 50 states and then territories. And so pharmacies are licensed to practice within a given state. They're not national licenses. As a result of that, um, the the compounds that are made are subject to state law. And um, there are multiple um, uh, sterility requirements to be tested. There are multiple issues to make sure that pharmacies um, have used the appropriate um, raw, raw ingredient uh, as regulated by a group called the United States Pharmacopeia or USP. Um, so there are restrictions on how, it, on how it's put together, um, but most importantly at all is that the compound may have multiple ingredients it's necessary to identify all of the ingredients that have been placed in the, in the product right. so that an individual knows that it meets the requirements as prescribed, uh, but also that um, they are aware of what the strength is of each element in the product okay. so that that's confirming not only was what was prescribed, but if there's a concern, then they know what that strength is so that maybe that strength would be decreased Mm-hmm. or another product used based on whatever was on the label for that product. So um, do they teach compounding in, in for, like, students that are in pharmacy school? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. How long is that course? Um, it's usually at least a semester, sometimes a year. Do you teach that course? No, I don't teach <sighs> compounding. I was... Uh, I thought I had it in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was really good at it, but I... Uh, I, I didn't find it very interesting. So. Humble brag there. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so how does this fit for the, for when we talk about fraud, waste, and abuse, I mean, we, we do it as an analysis here, and we, we supply that to various di- different health plans. How does compounding pharmacy fit into FWA? Well, here's the problem. As I've indicated, mm-hmm. the vast majority of compounded products are done in an appropriate quality controlled uh, way that meets the requirements of the particular prescription Mm -hmm. for the particular patient. There are some groups for which this 
is abused. Okay. Um, it is not. It, it is. Um, it is common in the workers' comp uh, environment. Okay. It is common in some other environments, and is identified because one compound for one patient is is typically standard and is in general above reproach. Other than maybe that it isn't absorbed uh, by that mechanism or that it's not effective by that mechanism. But short of that, um, one prescription may not work. So over trending, you begin to look at it, and now several pharmacy benefit managers and plans, uh, including, by the way, uh, the uh, Department of Defense, have identified that there was overabuse of the process because people were putting it into... Um, into compounds, and then they could charge for each element of the compound versus the whole compound. Right. And we've seen that in some of our analyses and things that we've done for clients in right. dealing with it. So once you identify that, um, the, the PBMs, as I've indicated, have now have lists of drugs for which they will not approve a particular compound mm. because most of these products are already manufactured by somebody. Right. So as a result of that, there's no need to compound it. Mm. Um, uh, however, when there's a need to customize the dose or deal with a medium that isn't going to be allergic for the patient or otherwise, that's an extenuating circumstance. That is part of what is approved when someone denies it or otherwise to say, here's the reason why we're doing it, right. and given that it meets all the criteria for approval, then, of course, it's approved. So it, it, it's not like someone could just bill for a compound and then and then it gets approved, or if they meet the certain criteria, it can get approved, And but they also find stuff like fake names or drugs that probably never really used but billed for anyways. How do you find that? Well, um, you find it by trending it over time. Okay. Um, because in general, um, uh, just for argument's sake, let's say that there's a prescription for Clark Kent. You mm -hmm. don't know whether that's Clark Kent as Clark Kent, <laughs> somebody with Superman, really that yeah. name, or whether it's Superman. Well, Superman right? wouldn't need drugs. <laughs> he would need drugs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my point is, yeah. is that on an individual basis, unless the product is really extraordinary. It's extraordinarily expensive. It's a product that isn't absorbed the way that the product has been, um, been uh, billed uh, as. Billed as. Yeah. It may not be effective in that particular form. And I've questioned that in several cases where it's not effective or it's not absorbed, things like that. Right. Uh, because there's no reason for us to be compounding something that isn't going to be absorbed into the body or isn't going to be effective, that's just a waste of everybody's time. It's just a, me, a big red flag. Exactly. Yeah. So other than that, you look at this and you say, I'm only going to be able to see this over time where these kind of things tend to continue. You're following it. And you want to make sure that you knew about it. Mm -hmm. On a one-off case, unless everything were to be prior authorized, which in some cases they may happen for, for uh, compounds. Mm -hmm. But in general, you wouldn't see it unless you look at it over a period of time. Okay. How does the waste part fall into this? Well, yes. Um, fraud, waste, and abuse, and, and 
with full disclosure, we do this for a host of payers um, that deals with this because you have to look at it under multiple points. But um, the the major issue has always been on fraud, where you go looking for someone right. who has built for a drug that no one received, or they built for a phony name, or they built for for a product that uh, the patient never picked up, or something like that. Right. Um, however, that's a very labor-intensive, time-consuming, expensive process because not only do you need auditors, you need attorneys, you need other things because pharmacy uh, 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 fraud is definitely um, a felony. And it's a huge problem. And yeah, it's a huge, huge problem, problem. Yeah. Uh, for a small per, for a small percentage of everybody doing it. Right. The the issue that we have though is that um, the federal government under Medicare uh, has shifted their emphasis from fraud to waste and abuse. So while fraud may occur, and they certainly want to identify it, they're shifting to waste and abuse, and yes, we do it, but you're looking to see anything that is abusive or taking up a lot of product takes away from the quality therapy that you want to give a patient. Okay. So what you're trying to do is to ensure that quality is maintained by uh, minimizing as much as possible any kind of waste uh-huh. or any kind of abuse because they're all taking away from the good health care for a given patient. Right. So when you're dealing with, with that, you have improved quality, you've improved the value because you're not wasting so much or trying to abuse the amount that you're using. Right. That's where the emphasis is. That's where people are looking now in order to try and minimize all of that work. To increase quality and improve efficiency. Correct. Basically. Right. Oh, so that's why that's why they named it fraud, waste, and abuse, because there's a lot of overlap in here. There is. One typically help or one typically influences the other. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And waste and abuse definitely have overlap. They mm-hmm. may have some overlap in fraud as well. Um, but fraud, of course, is something that you're looking for to try and stop as soon as possible. Waste and abuse, you're trying to minimize. Right. So just yeah. to put like a bow on it, that's how compounding pharmacies tend to influence or you want to keep an eye on compounding pharmacies because of fraud, waste, and abuse that could occur. Yeah. And, and typically with any pharmacy, I guess. Yeah. yeah, it's true. But, I mean, we're dealing with a small percentage of them that are mm-hmm. – are uh, doing things illegally or inappropriately, and those pharmacies, from a compounding sense, you want to make sure that you're identifying them, that you're working with them in order to try and minimize waste, minimize abuse. If there is some fraud going on, then clearly that has to be stopped. Right. Um, but you're you're trying to address this whole problem as something that um, normally would not be a problem in the general manner of things, but because someone has taken advantage of the situation, right. now it's registered under a FWA or fraud, waste, and abuse kind of indicator. And in that regard, you're trying to stop it or minimize it. Right, right. It's an interesting topic. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to add to it? No, I think that it's important that as yeah. people talk, I mean, it, um, we can look at it and laugh and say it's funny, or we can look at it and say, oh, that's horrible, but not extend it to everything. We're in a world today where everybody wants to pick up some element and say everything is bad because it doesn't go with what my 
my particular persuasion is or my ideas are or otherwise. Right. From our vantage point, this is healthcare. We can't play that game. We can't lie about it because mm -hmm. this influences how someone is going to be treated and whether they're going to be treated appropriately. Or the so, people's trust in the Or the in people's the trust providers. in the healthcare system. Yeah. Absolutely, Alex. Yeah. Absolutely. So from what we have to do, this whole system is about providing truth, identifying that there are some bad actors and we need to address it. There is a whole host, a, a significant part of the profession that is entirely appropriate, entirely legal, entirely quality driven, uh, but we don't want to brand the entire compounding pharmacy by a few bad actors. Yeah. With regard to a few bad actors, they need to be addressed and dealt with. That doesn't mean, by the way, mm -hmm. that there isn't waste going on in the system right. or some sort of abuse going on in the system, either because you're trying to get prescriptions paid for or you're trying to deal with whatever the system is. And that is healthcare in a nutshell, where we're constantly working to improve the overall quality as a quality paradigm by effectively squeezing out poor quality, squeezing out waste, squeezing out abuse in order to try and make the system better. Because mm -hmm. anytime we do that, we're taking away from good healthcare. So we are typically, we as in pro pharma, are typically quality control experts. We are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I Don't like take that. too much credit. Alex. No, I mean I'm sitting a little taller today. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, uh, that's uh, that's our discussion for today. Thank you very much, Dr. Stern. Um, I would like to remind you to go to ProPharmaConsultants.com. We have a free information page called RX Info X. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please leave them below. We're always interested to hear what um, new topics you might be interested in today, healthcare related, hopefully. And, <laughs> and that way we, we can talk to the expert here and he can uh, help us out with that. But um, anyways, that's it for today and we will be back next week. Hello and welcome to the newest edition of Pro Pharma Talks. Our topic for today is on compounding pharmacies and we get into a little bit about fraud, waste, and abuse. But um, before we get into that, I'd like to remind you to hit like and subscribe.